Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you for tuning in to this Easter Sunday edition, April 4th, 2021, of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. Please join me, if you will, before uh, I share anything else in the spirit of prayer. Merciful God, without you, without the resurrection of the crucified Christ, where would we be? What would be our hope, not only for the next life, but for the strength and the endurance and the ability to receive your peace that is beyond understanding? If there was no resurrection, if there was no overpowering of all that would entomb us, but Christ was raised, and so in your power and grace may we be raised. We cannot give you thanks enough. We ask your blessing on this time of listening and thinking afterwards about what we have heard. In Jesus' name, amen. The message is called Standing and Moving in Resurrection. And uh, our lector is Jessica Schneider, who actually was the very first lector on our first podcast. And uh, she returns again to read from Isaiah, 1 Corinthians, and the Gospel according to Mark. And so, let us turn to those scriptures and uh, the message in hopes of blessing to come. Our first reading is Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. Isaiah tells of a future time in Jerusalem when everyone will feast and God will destroy death. Later on, this vision became a part of what the coming Messiah would bring. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And God will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations, He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people will take, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This ends the reading from the prophet. Our epistle reading is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthian believers of the good news of Christ's death and resurrection, and refers to some of Jesus' appearances after the resurrection, including his own. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which in turn, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message that I proclaimed to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn have received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, 
then to all the apostles. Last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. This ends the reading from 1 Corinthians. Our Easter morning gospel reading is Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. The women who go to the tomb at the crack of dawn bring spices. These were for a posthumous burial preparation, sort of like our embalming. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look. There is the place they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Amazement indeed. Here ends the reading of Mark and our scriptures for this Easter morning service. Thanks be to God for this, the word of the God of life, for the life of the people of God. Where do you stand? Does where you stand depend on where you sit? Like the old saying goes. We can get literal about it if we want. I'm standing in the pulpit of this church in Skokie, Illinois. Later today, you may be standing in your yard in a line or at the kitchen sink. Maybe all three of these before the day is over. We can get more poetic about the question. Some of us are standing in hope. Some of us in anxiety. Others in hunger, happiness, depression, joy, or peace. Or you could say, I'm standing in protest, in support of, in doxology. I'm standing up for Jesus. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Standing in witness or in memory, etc. Martin Luther, in affirming his revolutionary writings, which helped start the Protestant Reformation, famously said, Here I stand. I can do no other. Well, where do you and I stand on Resurrection Sunday, Easter? And yes, I know that technically uh, most of you, all of you and most of the people uh, uh, live streaming at home are probably sitting now. That's okay. I do not mean to ask either where you stand on the topic of Easter or Easter worship, but where you and I are inside us and around us 
in light of the resurrection and our celebration of it. I do suggest that for those of us who humbly take the name Christian or Christ follower or disciple, in faith we do stand in and on resurrection. I get this from the epistle lesson we heard Jessica read. Paul said, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaimed to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. Then Paul said what he had passed on to them as of first importance, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, was raised in accordance with the scriptures. Paul had received it and then passed it on to the Corinthians as top priority knowledge, and they received it. He then said that they are still standing in this news, in this gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and being raised, and appearing to people for a while before the ascension. They stood in this good news. They stood in the resurrection of the crucified Jesus, in its new life and hope, eternal life, the freedom and loving service which the resurrection of Jesus brings us. Do you and I stand in this grace? Later, Paul does call this grace, that he, of all persons, would be included in this good news of mercy, purpose, and of preaching. If you and I deeply receive and believe in this good news of crucifixion and resurrection, forgiveness and burial, we are standing in Easter. We are standing in resurrection. Here we stand by faith, grace, and diligent discipleship we can do no other. This is marvelous and somewhat mystical news. This is where Jesus' people stand when you and I pray to God, even if God feels absent or to not be listening at the time. This is where we stand when you and I face waiting for a vaccine appointment or when we stand at a graveside, when we take the risk to offer to pray for someone and we do not know how they will react to that offer, when we stand pondering what is a faithful and wise immigration policy and how to tackle something as un-American, at least as un-American as our ideals are, as making voting harder, more restrictive, especially if restrictions are aimed at people of color and the working poor. To stand in the resurrection is a gift of grace from our Lord, a gift received by faith. When someone like Paul or Luther, Lydia or the martyr Perpetua, Billy Graham or Jim Wallace proclaim the good news to us. The part about someone preaching and teaching and living out the crucifixion, resurrection, good news, and life, that's essential. Preaching, teaching, and living it out is essential. 
Recently, the Gallup organization reported that for the first time, fewer than 50% of Americans claimed to belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque. That's evidence that in the passing it on part of Christianity, we have been losing ground. Ministries of evangelism, church planting, teaching, preaching, and more need help. Well, let's remember that, facing this as well, you and I stand in Easter. We stand in the grace of God. How else can we hope to stand at all before God? And how better can we stand or stake our ground than on Christ's life, death, and resurrection? But the man in the empty tomb told Mary, Mary, and Salome that the killed and raised Christ was on the move, on his way to Galilee to meet the disciples and Peter. And if you were here Monday, Thursday, or saw the live stream, or just know the story well, you'll better grasp the importance of Peter being specifically added by the angelic being in the tomb. The women were to go tell the disciples, which means moving in and with the good news of resurrection, and tell them to hie thee to Galilee. This was such world-transforming news. No wonder that when they left the tomb, Mark says that terror and amazement had seized them. The Corinthians and all others gripped by the great good news of the raising of Christ, the crucified for us Jesus, all of those who've been gripped by it stood and stand in resurrection. Now we know that those who stand in it can also be called to move in it, make a difference with it, tell it, relocate with it if you are called, up to Galilee or Corinth or Rome. The realm of God has truly upended life and business as usual when death no longer sets the ultimate parameters of life. And those who crucify in fear and loathing find that their dead are no longer really dead, but raised in power over them, even if that's not seen until maybe the next generation. People of faith and goodwill will move in resurrection to bear witness that the old, fearful, self-centered ways are not God's ways, nor are they doomed to always have the upper hand. Speaking of moving in resurrection, I was moved to spend more time than I usually do for Easter, not only in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11, but also with Isaiah. I don't know if I've really ever spent time on Easter with this passage that we heard. This is a vision given Isaiah of the new life, the new world even, under God's Messiah and God's transformation. The words let us know that unlike some prophecies in the Old Testament, God is including all peoples in this, not just Israel and Judah. We find a generous and delivering God when you and I really take a look at what Jessica read earlier in our service. The Lord, first, the Lord will make a feast on that mountain for all peoples. 
I do not know what all of this means besides rich wine. I mean, the marrow, fat, lost on me a little bit. Besides the rich wine, that's easy to understand. But what I get is this early image of what is called the messianic banquet. Jesus referred to it in his teaching. It's a positive thing for God to do and to give, nourish God's people. If we unpack it, it's bringing together all God's people. And to me, that means there will be a restoration of community, of health and reconciliation and fellowship, as well as nourishment. Hunger ends. Can we who stand in resurrection make a way to a Galilee of sorts and move to help end hunger? God also will destroy the shroud that is cast over all peoples, and he will swallow up death forever. Isaiah continued, Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. God will put an end to death and the fear, sorrow, and pain it causes each and every one of us. No more mournful wondering and wishing over what might have been with him, her, or them had they lived. And I know that feeling, and you do too. On the positive side of this negative-sounding language, destroy, swallow up, it means God will bring about openness, where the shroud and the sheet were cast, That's going to be gone, and there will be a sense of freedom and transparency with this. There will be light. To swallow up death forever, positively, is to affirm life forever. You and I moving in resurrection grace and power cannot swallow death. We can't cause life to last forever. But it is our inheritance. And we, you and I, can still move towards what makes for fullness of life. And as the New Testament puts it, the life that really is life. Although it is God who wipes away every tear in this prophecy, surely a resurrection image applied to we mortals, you and I can be a loving, caring presence to persons in their grief. Rather than avoiding them or keep the stiff upper lip when what they need to help them is to see some vulnerability from someone else they trust and love. We can minister to the need we all have to laugh and to find some peace. The Lord will also take away from all the earth the disgrace of his people. That's a negative image, to take away disgrace or to take away, although a good one, to take away disgrace from God's people. God's people of the Old and the New Covenants have suffered disgrace and have done disgraceful things in God's name. Recently, I reminded the church as a whole that we also bear the weight of responsibility as churches over the centuries for the embedded racism in our country's history, not to mention disenfranchising our LGBTQ plus friends. To turn once more to the positive spin on this taking away language, effectively God's taking away means that you and I, moving in Easter life, can serve God by restoring people's dignity 
and honor, and in a way, return their name to those disgraced. This is especially true when we hear about the horrors wrought, not only upon people of color in our nation, but including Native Americans, Asian and Asian Americans. Going back to the 1850s, they labored to build the railroads and were subject to a lot of suffering, and not just from the work. We know about Atlanta and the recent stomping attack in New York City, moving in resurrection, in hope, faith, and love, grounded in the good news of Jesus crucified and risen, can you and I not join with those who seek to restore dignity and honor to those from whom it was stolen? Along with those seeking to restore faith and health and peace and community in our fractured, often agnostic society and world. The Lord raising Jesus from the dead after he died for our sins, paying the price we owed and demonstrating how massive and deep God's love is for us and for the world is more than just good news. It changes our lives in this life and for the next. Our standing is in the light of the resurrection. It helps keep us standing when the winds of temptation Diminishing finances, injustice, transitions, and fear seek to blow us down and stay down. We stand, by the grace of God, we stand in Easter 24-7-365. Like the women were told and did in Mark, we also move, move in resurrection to proclaim the great news, to be God's humble agents working to serve that messianic prophecy in Isaiah to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, to push back hunger and poverty, disease, racism and sexism and fear of the other and sheets that cover up people from the light of freedom and faith. We stand and we move in resurrection, resurrection life to share the faith, and to love all our neighbors as ourselves and even our enemies to the glory of God. For Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the message on this Resurrection Sunday. And... um, Next week, I know we're going to be hearing from the Gospel of John and the Epistle of John. The, um, the, as I said in the sermon, this is really the first time in my several years of ministry, over 30 years of ordained ministry, that I really spent much time with the Isaiah passage and the 1 Corinthians 15. I spent some time on it and, and looked for something, but it wasn't speaking to me like it was this this time. So I hope you found that that meaningful as it was meaningful for me. God bless you and have a blessed Easter tide. See you later, I hope. Bye.